Okay, we are live on LinkedIn and I'm doing a double header this week of e-commerce on fire. This is episode three. I'm joined by Justin Butlian, who is the founder of Project BI. He's a data and analytics specialist. Justin, welcome to the show. Really excited to talk a lot about data. It's something I need to learn a lot about. So let's start off, give everyone um, an insight into your background. Where do you come from and what are you doing now? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you, Adam, for the opportunity. It's great to finally uh, connect face to face like this after chatting a lot on uh, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, so I'm originally born and raised in South Africa. Uh, at the age of 19, my family and I, we immigrated to Israel, um, became a citizen. Uh, I'm Jewish, so it was quite easy to do. Uh, spent 14 years in Israel, um, did my undergraduate there in marketing and in business, uh, business and marketing. And then straight from that went into the high tech world, uh, worked at different companies, worked in different startups. I was then very, very fortunate to join um, Yotpo, a pretty well-known name in the e-commerce space. Uh, one of the, I was one of the early employees, started out there doing marketing. Um, you know, after essentially the company hit product market fit and was in a hyper growth mode. Uh, I was at Yotpo for over, just over four and a half years changed my roles there a few times. I ended up becoming the director of business performance, which means I was responsible for leading the internal analytics at the company. Did that for just over two years, led a team of analysts, uh, you know, built dashboards, helped the company really improve their business intelligence uh, yeah, operations. I left the company towards the end of 2017 and immediately jumped into um, becoming essentially a freelancer. I saw a lot of opportunity to take my skills and work with other startups. Uh, so I said, let's try this out. Um, and did that for, uh, I've been doing that for the last three years. About six months after leaving Yotpo, I ended up leaving Tel Aviv, became a digital nomad. So I've been actually living out of a suitcase the last three years, traveling around. I'm currently in Vietnam where I've been since January. Before there, before that, I was in Thailand, uh, Hungary, um, Colombia, Costa Rica. I've been Some in quite a few places. countries. Yeah, I've, I spent about six months in the last three years in in Chiang Mai, in Thailand, which is a very popular yeah. location for nomads. Yeah, so uh, really enjoying the lifestyle. It's really helped me take advantage of geo arbitrage, which is a very powerful thing for you know digital nomads, um, allowing me to live you know and, and save a lot of money, even with a relatively well, everything's relative, I guess, but uh, a decent uh, annual um, amount of sales as a freelancer. Yeah. Uh, today, I'm basically working on a brand new venture, which is uh, to provide an all-inclusive business intelligence solution to Shopify stores, store yep. owners. Um, I decided to really be focused and start with Shopify, uh, but the vision is to expand into other platforms later and take all this experience I have, about six years now working you know, in analytics, um, and bring all of this to the e-commerce space and provide um, what I call analytics as a service, so kind of a subscription-based model where 
I take care of all the needs of the store owner from the infrastructure to the reporting to the business uh, analytics and the store owner pays a monthly fee and if they're not happy after 30 days they can say goodbye no more headaches I flip the switches and the data is gone um, and everyone goes goes their separate ways so the idea is to really make it a, a very friendly service in terms of reducing you know it's not a traditional agency model in that regard there's no long-term retainers or anything like that but it's a kind of hybrid between agency and a pure SaaS software-based play um, I use tools like Tableau which are you know custom built uh, you know used to build custom dashboards so it's yeah. not software-based entirely um, but from the store owner's perspective it's it's almost the same um, plus you get the professional services on top which is it will all be me initially, but at, over time, as I build out a team, every store will have a, uh, you know, their own analyst and they'll get weekly reports. And our job is to really help the store grow with the use of data. Yeah, we're going to um, talk a lot about, I know you've got a strong SaaS background, but we're going to discuss how some of those principles and data intelligence can be applied to e-commerce, which, as you said, is surprisingly quite a niche position in the e-commerce world but not in the SaaS. but i think there's right. a growing market as we discussed before this call where people especially stores were scaling fast want to know like where is the revenue coming from they can't get hold of the um, data efficiently and they don't know where the attribution lies so we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second but Let's talk about the Israeli startup scene because it seems like every SaaS company um, in e-commerce, in fact, any industry seems to come from Israel. Like what is in the water in Israel that makes the startup scene there so vibrant? Yeah, it's a good question. What I'll do is I'd recommend to you and, and anyone watching the stream to, to check out a book called Startup Nation. It's a very interesting book that was written by two university um I think there were university professors in the US uh, who basically wanted to answer this question is how, how can a country, you know, 70 years old, no natural resources, six major wars, no trade with its neighbors, you know, for the most part, how can this place, you know, eight and a half million people be number two in the world for venture capital investments for innovation? etc 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 i mean intel yeah. has factories in israel where a lot of the chips for cell phones and computers are being produced um it's an incredible story and the book goes into a lot of detail a lot of it's got to do with culture a lot of it's got to do with um you know governmental programs investment this the book makes argument about the military that a lot of you know mm -hmm. people go into these advanced intelligence units and get incredible training and exposure to technology at a young age and then after three years, they go into the market. A lot of these guys are like, can imagine, right? What kind of training they have. It's, yep. it's you know, then they're going, I have friends that served in, in the intelligence cores that are today writing algorithms for, you know, autonomous vehicle companies, et cetera, right? So um, you can think the militaries generally need to always be ahead of the curve when it comes to technologies, right? Be um, because the, you know life and death right so a lot of these guys leave and then they've got you know they're they're a generation ahead of the market and then they go into the market and they can start their own companies and uh, culturally it's also incredible there's this concept of israeli chutzpah that everyone you mm -hmm. know 
you can think you can do anything and yeah. there's this very vibrant entrepreneurial spirit in the country um yeah yeah and yeah i mean i think i can't remember the exact number but there's some crazy uh, ratio of like number of citizens to startups and it's i think it's like 1500 or 2000 so like for every 2000 people in the whole country you've got a company um like an early stage startup so you don't have anything like that anywhere else in the world in in that regard oh israel is like you said an amazing country especially when it comes to the entrepreneurial standpoint i have a lot of Israeli friends and I mentioned to you I've been over three times so it's definitely a very unique culture and yeah, um, yeah it's it's interesting I think Israelis and also Jewish a lot of Jewish culture in general have that can-do attitudes where they just seem to really embrace the challenges of business we work with a lot of Israeli um, clients now as well in different industries so it is interesting for such a small company a country sorry that there's so many yeah. businesses coming out of there so just to touch on the, um, obviously you've got a, a background in SaaS. We mentioned that it's quite a niche position in e-commerce to be like a data analyst. But what are some of the principles that you typically apply in the SaaS business model that you think could be carried over effectively to the e-commerce world? Yeah, so I think a big part of it is really understanding the customer, understanding the buyer, the buying cycle. Um, this is an action area in my reporting that I'm, I'm getting more into now is, is understanding the repeat purchase rates and the retention rates and all these things. And then trying to go as deep as possible to understand who is the core um, segment of my customer base, which is really sticking around for the long term. Because as you know, any business today can essentially start a subscription-based model. It's not that difficult to implement. The problem is, does it make sense? And it, it's very sexy, you know, especially in, in I would say, more in the high-tech world than the e-commerce. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's understanding, can it actually work? And and unfortunately, for, yeah, unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, you've got to get into the data and understand. And I've got a lot of articles that I've written up on, on my site, Project BI, which is, an educational site for analysts um, that covers retention. Great, great Actually, if anyone's listening, then so much about uh, customer lifetime value, just principles that we've tried to apply for our clients as well. I learned a lot of reading on there. So yeah, it's a great site. Yeah, I appreciate that. And also what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of the, the principles around business analytics um, are transferable cross industries, cross sectors. Um, it's the concepts for the most part, which you need to understand. And as a freelancer in the last three years, I've, I've worked with over 30 different businesses, you know, probably 25 different types of, you know, target markets and segments and et cetera. So, and the concepts are almost always the same. Yeah, interesting. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about attribution, actually, while we're on that half now what are some of the pitfalls that you see um e-commerce stores fall into and how can they get I've, i mentioned before the call actually a lot of businesses even that we work with this tend to scale so fast and they get to a state where they get overwhelmed by the data they can't figure out where the money is coming from which channel is providing the the revenue um, how do you recommend someone in that position to get a hold of things and like try to drill down to the data and see where the attribution is actually coming from? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I can tell you that literally the one of the biggest challenges in in marketing analytics is attribution. There's an, an entire market of, of solutions out there trying to tackle this challenge, the concept of multi-touch, you know, attribution, etc. Because as you know, people might not purchase the first time they come to the site. So I might come to the site five times from five different sources and then buy who yeah. should get, who should, you know, be, how, how do you want to attribute that revenue across those five touch points? <laughs> For the most part, what I've seen and what I recommend is don't try to overcomplicate it. Um, I think there's this kind of low-hanging fruit in business analytics, and most businesses don't even have that down, and yet they're trying to crack this super complex challenge of multi-touch attribution. Um, yep. Go Analytics is great. If you've got the enhanced e-commerce setup, then that will give you at least the final touch. And for a lot of businesses, that's going to be enough. So I mentioned there are brands out there where people will come, especially for for higher priced items, people are going to be doing their research. They're not going to necessarily buy on first um, visit. But for yeah. a lot of businesses, they're going to land. This, it's going to be, what's that What's that term? It's it's a, you know, quick purchase, um, an emotional driven purchase. And they're going to, they're going to, you know, just do it. And then your, your final touch is going to be fine. I'd say another big piece of it is really understanding, once again, going back to the buyer, the the repeat purchase rate and things like this mm -hmm. to understand. So like one of the stores I'm working with has a very high repeat rate, so something like 20% um, re return customer purchases within 30 days. So nice to hear that you think 20% is high. Some of the people we work with have said they need within 90 days to have it up to 50% and the job's on us. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I would argue that even the biggest brands in the world don't have those kind of rates. Um, but yeah, so what I see is there's certain times of the year even where up to 50% of all the orders being purchased are existing customers. Yeah. So now, now once you understand that, you understand your... Um, final touch point, which Google Analytics is going to give you. And then kind of the third piece would be customer research. So actually surveying your customers and asking them these types of questions, like what got you to our site? Um, when did you make your first purchase? Was it the first, you know, which of your, was it the first time you came to our site? I always say even to, to my analytics clients and my online non-e-commerce clients to Try and get on the phone, get on Skype calls if you can yeah. with your, your your biggest your evangelists, the people that are buying a lot from you and are highly engaged. They'll be happy to talk to you in most cases and say to them, "Yeah, we all exactly." Sorry, we are seeing like a resurgence, aren't we? And surveying and being more customer centric and focused for these big businesses to actually get on the phone, uh, get in front of their existing customers' faces and just ask them why did you buy from us what do you like about it and it seemed like for yeah. so long it was a mystery but people are finally starting to embrace that again now and actually just yeah survey the customers ask the existing people why do you like buying from us yeah and no, i would even say interestingly enough you know there was something i saw over and over again at yotpo that this kind of you know since you got the product reviews um within those reviews is a lot of uh, you know feedback and that was kind of a uh, it's difficult to to measure the the exact value there but 
uh, I would I almost always tell you know um, e-commerce stores if they can afford it to go with something like a Yopo, um, so they they have not only the reviews which will help boost conversion rate, but also having that 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 automation to create to generate the feedback um, that can be then used to because a lot of businesses they make all these assumptions and they're often very wrong and by just talking to with 20 customers over skype you know you'll you'll start identifying patterns it's kind of very classic you know ux design customer research type thing um so every every entrepreneur i believe should be talking to their customers all the time 100 percent. it's often the most simple advice that um yields the highest returns right. <laughs> switch our attention actually talking about repeat purchase rates let's talk a little bit about customer lifetime value massive um, challenge and topic of discussion at the moment especially as i find uh, so many merchants dependent on like top of the funnel paid ad spend so google facebook instagram tiktok all these social giants and they want to find out profitable ways of making sure that the data that they purchase, they can get the most out of it. So what are some of the best ways you think e-commerce businesses can increase customer lifetime value? Yeah, so the answer is not very sexy, but you, you really want to put yourself in the customer's shoes. Um, and a lot of people, I've been there, you know, starting companies, we, we built something that we like that looks good to us. You know, but we don't necessarily wear the hat of the customer exactly and go through that journey and be obsessive with it. Like every pixel you can improve in your UX, for example, is going to help with conversion rate. And yep. if you really break down customer lifetime value, it's, it's, it's surprising how easy it is to manipulate that once you can optimize for other things. So your cart size, your repeat purchase rate, um you know the the yeah so i mean that that's one thing how do we get them to buy more right that's going to increase customer lifetime value and uh, it's it goes back down to conversion rate optimization which will be working your website incre every little thing that you can do over time will improve it so load time of the site um the number of steps to get to payout um, I have a very good friend here who's a UX specialist, and he's actually put out content about this. Um, but I would actually say if you really are obsessive with customer lifetime value, you need to become obsessive with U on UX. Um, and, and then just wear the hat of the customer and experience it. Like forget about your own business and go through it. Uh, it's difficult yeah. to do. But look at the emails you're going to receive as a customer. Are they friendly? Is it something that you would want to receive from you know any business that you did business with right every little thing matters like all the emails optimized for mobile because a lot of people open up you know you you know just sit with a piece of paper or something like lucid chart if you want to do it online and and start mapping out that journey every single touch point and then i'll i'll I'm sure you have a lot to say about customer lifetime value but obviously email is a very powerful channel email sms to ping them at the right time, remind them, try to stay top of mind. Yeah, um, I'm not a specialist on this, but I imagine things like um, retargeting 
and almost like instead of being too aggressive with your ads, maybe even push content or push the brand more. And it's like, hey, you know, here's an interesting article on, you know, ballerina shoes. If you're a shoe brand, for example, um, targeting a segment of your, and now they come back and they're like, oh shit, I remember these guys. I bought a pair yeah. six months ago. I really enjoyed it. Let's look at the deals. And now you want to remove friction, right? That's the bottom line. Completely. Um, it's interesting just to touch on that point as well. A lot of the clients that we take on board when we go to do email campaigns, they're very surprised and sometimes question our approach because we have a very strong content focus. We say a lot of the time, the way to sell more is to sell less and to stop being obsessed with trying to push offers in people's faces. If you lead right. with value and yet yeah, often content, then you can maximize people's engagement over the long term and they'll just buy from you as a byproduct of trust. So it's nice to hear, you know, data scientists like you back up that holistic theory rather than saying actually I'm completely wrong about that. There is a lot of um, relevance and it, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me. And we, we all make this mistake. I can't really understand why it happens, but we forget when we start thinking about converting these visitors, this thing we can't see or touch into revenue, we forget we're dealing with human beings, with people. And, you know, the best thing is like visit your own website if you're a store owner and say, would I want to buy from this store? Like, am I happy with this checkout page? Am I happy with this email? And if you're not, then you can't expect other people to, right? So it's often the low-hanging fruit. Um, and it's unsex It's not sexy, right? Everyone wants the sexy, the, the secret, you know, the secret sources. But it's often yep. just making it more appealing and, and work. The last point I'll make about customer lifetime value is that it's become, I know it's become an obsession in the e-commerce world. It's been an obsession for the SaaS world for a very long time because one of the main marketing channels is paid ads. What I would say to a lot of e-commerce businesses is if ads are working for you, great. It's, and it's, there's a lot of people posting amazing results. And I know it, you know, those results are real in, in most of those cases, but it can get dangerous relying too heavily on one marketing channel. Mm -hmm. And if you can work out your content, for example, you'd become very good at SEO in the organization and, you know, you you start killing it with content marketing. Now you don't really care as much about customer lifetime value because your CAC is so much lower. Yes. So long term, if you are trying to build a, a legacy business, you know, something that's been around for a long time, get out of the mindset that we're just going to grow like this forever with ads. It's too risky. Um, you wouldn't do it with a traditional brick and mortar business. You wouldn't just yeah. say, okay, we're going to, we're going to border up the business and we're going to put ads in newspapers and, and, give them the secret code to get in the business. You, you know, that you wouldn't do that yourself. So don't rely on one channel and customer lifetime value is important if you need to rely on, on CAC because one has to be higher than the other or you're killing your own business. That's why there's an obsession about it. Um, I think what's more important long-term is trying to forget about that, lower your CAC, you know, build out a, a very strong, multi-channel marketing, um, you know, uh, component to the business. Yeah. And then you'll, you'll sleep better at night. Uh, and 
it also compounds. It's it's a lot more scalable than the ads, which I think is also important. Um, to it's consider. very interesting actually listening to all this because it seems as though e-commerce is blighted by that short-term need for gratification. Whereas I think you mentioned, for example, like a brick and mortar stores. A lot of these offline retail businesses, the way they've approached business in general over the long term is to just treat people well coming through the door. And that's what leads to a repeat visit. And it's 100%. Those principles, like you said, you go to a restaurant, you get a great meal, the service is nice, you're much more likely to go back. You're not necessarily going to be blasted by retargeting guards by those people. So I think, like you said, going back to the UX point of looking at the customer journey, how can you make it as frictionless and a pleasant experience as possible is a great way to just increase customer lifetime value. Taking a long-term view as opposed to that short-term necessity for instant gratification, like does it make money today? What were the sales? And taking a long-term view. Yeah, I'd even say someone like yourself with with you know a tool like Clavio, there's amazing opportunities to create almost a competitive advantage where you can take advantage of the the data you have on your customers to do things which are unique uh, because it, it, anyone can start an, uh, um, an e-commerce business today on Shopify in five minutes and over time it becomes ambiguous you know the the, the experience so it becomes tougher and tougher to create a competitive advantage um, as things get cheaper and you know the technology advances, so you've got to uh, you've got to become more human. And I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk, who really pushes this a lot. Is you know, and he's got a lot of stories of how he did this with his wine business, etc. And um, you, you've really got to get human. Uh, you know, there's one very good story. I don't know if you know it, that Gary V talks about. I just think it would, it would be a good example to throw in here, but. He was looking through his records, and he had one uh, um, one customer that buy a lot, bought a lot of wine from his wine his father's you know wine business that he took over, and he started following the guy on Twitter, and he noticed he was a big like a football fan, American football. So instead of sending him a gift card to just buy more wine, which everyone would do, he actually took the money that would cost to buy the voucher, and he bought a jersey. And sent him the jersey saying thanks for being such a great customer and that's just a one more example where it might not make sense from a you know when you think of it in how's that going to get him more wine but you're treating a human being and i promise you he told 20 people minimum about the experience because it's so unique that might have brought say five more customers so it's super roi positive plus He's never going to buy wine anywhere else because he no yeah. one's going to match that experience to him because it was so personal. It's tough to do at scale, um, yeah. but something like Clavio, when you can segment your users, I'm also planning down the road to build tools within my dashboard where you can build smart lists of your customers based on their purchase history. So even if you're not using a tool like Clavio, you could, you know, export a list in in a few minutes um, out of like out of the dashboard, which all your customers that have had at least five purchases in the last 90 days and their average cart size has been X, blah, 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 right? And you can build whatever list you want. Um, you know, by geography is a good one, right? So if you've got customers in Asia, you know, we, we, we were talking earlier, you know, I'm in Vietnam, the Tet holiday, you know, the new, the Chinese New Year is coming up soon. So if you've got a, you know, a, a segment of customers in Asia, 
you know, that's that's an opportunity. You know, you don't have to only do Christmas. There's people in the rest of the world that don't celebrate Christmas. You know, there's yeah. So you just got to be innovative and um, or creative rather, and think a bit out of the box, and then also take advantage of the assets you have, your data, your what you know about your customers, and it comes down to talking with them. Yeah, personalizing effectively. I like it. It's nice to see we're completely aligned on this. And like I said before, the holistic side of the customer journey is backed up by the actual science and the data. I want to give two quick tips actually to anyone's watching. I know we talked a lot about content to merge people and the more holistic side. Um, two things that I've found very effective, and this is a bit more direct selling for increasing lifetime value. And you could probably even say average order value is. When someone buys, we tend to find that they're very, very hot and likely to buy again. So I think just having a strategically placed cross-sell or an upsell in the first email and the post-purchase journey, even if you get a 1% increase in conversion rate on that, like over time, that compounds massively. So if you have 100 customers a day and one person buys, for example, uh, 100 buy this extra item for $100 and get $20 off, for the next 24 hours, that 1% can make a huge difference if it compounds at the end of the year. So that yeah. has been very effective for us. And we have had instances where we've got that up to 2.5 to 3%, which makes a huge difference. Um, second one is for repeat consumable items, just going in around the replenishment time and just with a very subtle reminder and say, is it time to stock up again on what you bought? You don't need to like throw people a discount. Just remind them that they purchased right. this item, for example, 30 days ago and ask them if they'd like to stock up again. It works very well. Yeah, I mean, and those small percentages add up. You know, if you think over yeah. a year, right, it's one extra percent every other day. It adds a lot to the bottom line. And then especially if you've got a strong product, right, yeah. and you're putting more product in the hands of these customers, if you're if you're really a good business, it will compound because now you're you know you have more repeat purchases, you have more word of mouth, and that flywheel just gets stronger and stronger over time. Yeah, absolutely agree. Turning our attention to uh, data again, so I think we we did talk about this a little bit before, like being overwhelmed by attribution. Where, so let's say, for example, I'm a, an e-commerce seller and I've scaled up, like trebled the revenue from uh, 200K to 600K in two to three months. And I, I start to get overwhelmed by the attribution channels. Where would you suggest that I first look to find out where this revenue is coming from? What would be your advice? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I know for a lot of people, especially those that you know, haven't worked a lot with, with data, um, it can be very overwhelming. What I, what I would recommend is the last thing you want to do is just jump into Google Analytics and start clicking around because you'll just get lost and, and you're not going to help yourself. You know, take a step back, sit with a pen and paper, you know, a cup of coffee. And what I always say, and I say this, it's the same for e-commerce businesses if it, or, you know, online, you know, a B2B or a SaaS company is you want to kind of think top down. So start with what would be the number one, like top three most important metrics for you. It's probably something like sales would go in that in my list, you know, maybe something like 
average order value, um, something like repeat purchase rate, maybe write three or four numbers out. Um, it could also be something like your backlog, right? Especially if you're selling like crazy right now, maybe it's more important to understand how many orders do we have which have been pending fulfillment a lot more than seven days, right? You know, that's that's something I'm also planning on tackling um, with my dashboard, by the way. Just plug that in there. Um, <laughs> but start with a pen and paper, write that down. And then what I would do is I would go into Google Analytics. If you haven't got Google Analytics set up to be optimized for e-commerce, get that done ASAP. Like work with, you know, an expert if needed. I'll plug also a very good um, site that I've been part of uh, in the past called Measure Match. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe we can put the link below. It's a UK-based um, site that connects businesses with analytics and business operations specialists. You'll find someone there in no time that can help you with this. Yeah. Uh, get that set up. Assuming it's already set up, because I know most e-com businesses will invest time early on to get that set up. Go in there and be very focused. So say to yourself, okay, I want to just know top down how many, how you know, what's the sales in the last 30 days? And then let's start with breaking it down bit by bit. So which countries, which um, channels, and start building a, a picture for yourself, right? Try to think you're looking at a puzzle and you want to start adding pieces to the puzzle. So something yeah. I, I've always said to my clients, my job is to turn on the lights. I say, you know, you're walking in this dark room, you're bumping into the table. I want to come and turn on the lights. So, you know, once again, I don't, I don't want to overplug my solution, but the first dashboard I really wanted to focus on is called the war room where I take all the main KPIs yeah. and I put it in one dashboard because I know it's super difficult to go and find these numbers in different places. I just want to give you one in, in one place. I give you green and red indicators to show you the change, you know, for whatever time period you want to look. And that's where you can start your day. Like, where do we want to focus? Um, the next thing I'd say is it's going to be overwhelming however you look at it. I wouldn't overstress about it. You should know at this stage, especially if you've been doing this for a year or two or even longer, what, what is important to the business. Um, learn Google Analytics, so at least from the marketing side, you understand where is the traffic coming from, what are the conversion rates um, per channel, I'd say do some experimentation if you can, if you've got the resources, make certain changes, monitor the analytics, see if that, you know, makes any difference. There's a, there's a common thing as well, double down on what works. Um, so if you see high conversion rate from referral traffic, then maybe you want to hire a PR company or bring in someone that can write some guest posts because people are writing about you and, when people come to you from those sites, they're converting very well. I hope that answers the question. I know I jumped around a bit. Um, it's a complex question. I think it's difficult to um, summarize in like two to three minutes, definitely. Yeah. That actually right. leads on nicely, though, to the last question, which is which metric should I focus? Sounds obvious, right? But like, Obviously, the summarizing everything we've discussed with attribution, profitability, like so many moving parts. What are the key metrics an e-commerce business should be focused on if it's looking to grow sustainably? 
Yeah, so you you made the right point of sustainably because um, I was going to start by if you're doing ads as your main marketing channel, what we really discussed, then obviously looking at your cost per click, your cost per um, purchase, your ROAS, your return on ad spend, those are going to be key if this is your main driver. Because I've seen from my, you know, working with my, you know, analytics uh, design partners, huge shifts, right? So it's very yeah. becomes very unpredictable at times, and you want to keep an eye on that very closely. Um, I've also, I don't think I came up with this idea, but something I'm providing in my dashboard is the concept of revenue per session. So mm -hmm. to really take all the traffic to the website and then say how much money are we making from this se these sessions, and try to optimize for that over time. Right, so basically saying you want to bring more valuable traffic over time versus just quantity. So it's mm -hmm. kind of playing off. It's like a simplified metric for your e-commerce like conversion rate and your revenue, right? So I just combine those two and I'm sessions div uh, revenue divided by sessions, and that's how much a visitor to your site is worth. Maybe it's 10 cents, whatever it is. But you want to at least keep that flat and then look at hopefully the traffic goes up. Or if you're doing a good job, that number will go up. If that number goes up, we're, we're happy because you're making more money. Um, on average, the, qu the quality is going up. Then obviously traffic, you want to see that going up. Um, what about traffic? Average Before uh, we move on from that, what about traffic from non-paid sources? Would you think that is important as well? Yeah, I mean, once again, I'm a big pr proponent of multi-channel, you know, lowering risk in the business. Um, I'm a big believer in SEO and content marketing. So I would look at, like in my in my dashboards, you'll be able to filter all these metrics by, for example, email versus organic search versus direct, etc., mm -hmm. and monitor that. So um, it gets very granular, but... You, it's, it's, it's possible and you should get to that point eventually. If you're just starting out, once again, what are your sales? Are we growing month over month, quarter over quarter? One of my clients, for example, they're growing quarter over quarter and, and they're happy. They don't even really care about much else uh, as long as they're growing quarter over quarter. Um, I want them to get a bit more granular because it's not enough to just grow quarter over quarter. Can we grow more aggressively? Yeah, um, it's to be an issue. A lot of these issues stem from when a business is almost ready to take the next leap, and it goes back to the sustainable thing of whether these metrics are able to work in their favor in the long run. Because a, um, a business doing a hundred k is infinitely more different than a business that does a million a month, logistically, operationally, all the additional costs, and whether that can be sustained, and also whether it's worth it as well to like hire all these extra people or invest in the advertising, right? Do they get the, the return on profits? Yeah, look, it's tricky because it's a catch-22 because if you don't start investing now on these, not, you yeah. know, these sustainable marketing channels, I often tell people if you're starting a blog today, you're not going to have much traffic for the first year. And most businesses don't want to invest for a year without seeing results, um, you know, and, and return on investment. But then what you, if you're doing it well, year two is super profitable for you because your CAC is now ridiculously low because you've got all this organic free traffic coming through, right? But it's having the mindset, you know, the long-term mindset and willing to invest in. Because a lot of people get caught up, ah, the ads are working, that's all we're going to do. And they think it can last forever. But 
it's there's a lot of stories of businesses that have died because of that approach. Um, then last, I would sorry, Justin, go ahead to let you finish your points first. Yeah, just on the metrics. I mean, you can talk a lot more about this, but uh, email is a big one. So your open rate, your click through rates, trying to optimize those, um, especially. You know, if you're not doing email, you're kind of crazy because it is the most profitable channel um, out there. <laughs> um, look, it's it's a fact. You can look it up. We're not just saying because we, you know, we're biased or anything. Um, it's a lot. There's all these interesting statistics about how much it costs to acquire a new customer versus retain an existing customer, right? And and email is the best for getting people to come back. Uh, yeah, I can talk a lot about metrics. I'm a, I'm a big, you know, that's what I do. But yeah, your e-com conversion rate. So I, I could talk an hour about this topic. But what I also tell every client I work with is to try to visualize your business in terms of a funnel and what I call the core funnel. And for an e-com business, what's beautiful, and this is one of the reasons I'm moving into this space aggressively is because I, I want to bring a lot more focus to my own life. The e-com conversion, the, the the funnel for an e-com business is always going to be the same. It's going to be visitor, add to cart, checkout, you know, um, transaction, and then repeat, right? So look at the funnel that way. Make sure each major step in that funnel, you understand your numbers. Um, most of them you're going to get from Google Analytics um, and some from Shopify, things like the repeat purchase rate and stuff like this. And if you can do that, and you can track those numbers, maybe even manually over time, once a month, you're looking at those. That's going to be a good start to become more data driven as a business and identifying, you know, maybe you're really good at getting more traffic. Your traffic's growing, but your sales are flat because your conversion rate's going down. Now you understand by looking at it in terms of a funnel that you're bringing a lot of traffic, but the quality is, is shit, right? Yeah. Um, so always try and simplify things, break things down to the fundamentals. Think top down. Um, I have a few blog posts on projectbi.net, which covers this type of thing and how to become data driven over time. And then obviously, if you've got the resources, you know, invest in an analyst if you can. I'm trying to push that, you know, um, into the space more. Obviously, it can be expensive and there's other considerations. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be my answer. Our eyes on those key metrics that you talked about before in terms of the funnel. So we've got traffic, um, add to cart, Yeah, so you have what you call the top of funnel, which would just be like sessions or uh, page views, whatever, whichever one you want to look at. Then you're going to be, you know, in Google Analytics, you have a whole report, which is called shopping stages, where they're going to give you the percentage of your sessions that, that reach each of these major points. So when they're added to cart, um, and also the drop-offs, right? So you can see, yeah. ah, okay, 3% added, 97% dropped out or whatever. Uh, so add to viewed, so it's session, viewed product page, right? You have to see a product page to add to cart typically. Uh, add to cart, checkout, transaction, right? So that's the funnel. Uh, and Google Analytics, if you set it up correctly, will give you that, which is great. One thing they don't do, which I do in my solution, is make it easy to split it by the different channels, right? So you'll notice immediately that email, for example, is ridiculously has ridiculously higher conversion rates all the way through compared to organic or referral or even ads. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, make know, they know you. It's a repeat customer in most cases. Yeah, yeah, it makes it they're a repeat customer, so it's much more easy to deliver a personalized message to them and drive that repeat sale. That's very interesting. Right. I feel as though uh, there's there's a lot of moving parts in e-commerce, but yeah, data analysts and um, we talked a lot about CRO and UX. I wouldn't necessarily say they're neglected, but they seem to be areas where people know they should focus more on, but don't because maybe it's a long-term play and everyone, again, is seeking that instant gratification. Yeah, 100%. And uh, time and time again, you'll see these case studies where the biggest shifts in the numbers across the board came after a, uh, a, a redesign of the store, right? It, yeah. It's over and over again, it happens. All of a sudden, they've got a 70% boost in conversion rate. Like, you can do as much manipulation as you want. You're not going to get those kind of gains unless you often scrap what you've got and redesign it. Um, I, I, I can't remember her name, but I know you're connected with uh, with a woman on LinkedIn who pushes a lot of that. The, the Rebecca Wesley at yeah, uh, Rainy yeah, City. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, and she, she, she does a great job of showing the results after the, the launches and the redesigns. Um, yeah, That's it's like anything, right? Yeah. Are you going to walk into a store that looks unattractive and make a purchase or you're going to walk in a store be blown away by the detail and the effort and the branding and say okay now there's immediate trust now let's look at the product and see yeah. if it's what i want so much to focus on obviously and it's so difficult to, to get a handle on any everything uh, we could talk about so many areas yeah but um justin it's been a pleasure um so obviously, you know, feel free to give a plug as we close this session on your uh, project that you're working on, your dashboards. How can people find out more about it and contact you for work? Yeah, sure. So um, honestly, the best way would be through LinkedIn. Um, you can find me, Justin Butler, and hit me up. Um, send me a direct message. I'm happy to schedule a time to do a demo. You can also see um, more about the solution at projectbi.net forward slash ecom. Um, just updated the landing page today, so you'll be able to see some more, you know, the latest version of the of the dashboard, some screenshots of it. Um, but the best experience would be to jump on a short call with me, and I'll kind of walk you through it and show you how how it would connect to your business specifically, and and walk you through the the solution. Um, Projectbi.net is where I, I write about analytics. So if you're keen about becoming more data-driven, you can subscribe there. I'm also on Twitter at uh, Justin underscore Bucklian, but I'm not too active there. But yeah, so LinkedIn would be the best to get in touch with me. Perfect. I'll make sure to tag you in this post after it finishes. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. So many great insights. If anyone has any questions that they want to add after the stream is finished, feel free to post them in the comments and me or Justin will respond to them. Justin, I'm going to end it here. Thank you very much for your time and we'll catch up Thank soon. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're All welcome. The best. Bye-bye.